asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. And today we're talking about what makes a good rental property. And Matt's super cheap glasses. What? Why are you switching up the, uh, the order here, man? talk about my glasses well uh, you know a good host knows when to shake things up <laughs> and uh, i saw you in these fancy looking glasses tonight these are my photography glasses i only wear these typically when i'm only shooting yeah and so uh wh- why'd you break them out tonight and because my i couldn't find my other ones <laughs> and how much did they cost i want to know that so you should know that all my glasses are from zenny did you know that zenny optical I literally yeah. yeah so zenny optical they're one of those uh cheap overseas players and dude i have i'm gonna guess eight or nine different pairs from them and they're great they're super cheap which allows you to purchase two to three at a time and you know if it doesn't work out it's like well i only dropped 20 bucks on them all Uh, right so 20 bucks a pair is that roughly what you're spending yeah yeah it's been a couple years maybe two three years since i've uh, ordered some but yeah typically you can get like the fancier coatings on there where it's like smudge proof or different uh like uv i don't know uv coating i think all that's kind of bullcrap anyway so I love Zenny. I don't wear glasses because... If you did, though, man, I think you would love Zenny. I totally go to Zenny. So cheap. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's awesome. I've totally, you know, dug around on the website before and stuff like that. By the way, not an ad. Matt just has Zenny glasses. And so if you, you know, want to (laughs) check out Zenny Optical, like literally an awesome money-saving strategy if you Uh wear glasses is to shop at Zenny Optical. So it's Zenny Optical, Z-E-N-N-I... And then optical.com. So we'll put a link yeah. in the show notes. And then there's other actual, you know, similar companies yeah. online. Like there's I, goggles for you. And I I've heard of them. I've others. never checked them out. I thought about hopping on there to check out some of their styles. Yeah. See what they look like. But like the glasses you're wearing, like legit you look like, like, like Warby Parker or something like that. Yeah. That's which what are talking about. $100 glasses. And if you're going to one of like the traditional eyeglass shops, you're probably spending, or if you're even going to Costco, which oh, dude, is hundreds. reasonable, hundreds. you're dropping at least 200 bucks minimum yeah. on glasses. Easy, and so, uh, you know, go, go to your eye doctor, you know, get your prescription and you get the pupillary distance. That's mm-hmm. an important... How do you know all this? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even wear glasses. You know, you know about pupillary distance. I know. And, uh, yeah. all, the, all the numbers. Of all course. Right. And so you got to get all those things. Plug, yeah. in, 
plug them into a site like Zenny or Goggles for You and just and save enjoy it. saving tons of money. Tons of money yeah. on glasses. And don't worry about it because I think that's the biggest hang up people have. They're like, well, what if they don't fit me? And Or maybe I won't like them, you know? And just order a few pairs and they've got the different kind of sizes on there and, you know, take the measurements and do all that. And if one or two don't work out, that's fine. You still got a new pair of glasses for 60 bucks assuming two of them didn't work out you know yeah and you can i think upload a picture of your face right and yeah yeah you can do a virtual try on yeah which is super funny because i mean they, they were doing this years ago like seven years ago maybe is when i got my first yeah they've been around years. a long time at this point and i remember the first time i did that nobody else had ever done something like that and i thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> you're an observant dude commenting on my glasses Just saw the new glasses i was wondering what was up i uh, dude, i wanted to mention too i finally got my uh speaking of photography i finally got my business checking account set up and i'm about to kick wells fargo to the curb finally high five that deserves oh. a high five my friend because <laughs> i don't Dude, know they suck so bad have wells we fargo, talked about this that they're how terrible they are they're essentially the devil really yeah wells fargo is the worst oh so if you are banking with Wells Fargo right now, please, <laughs> please do yourself a favor and leave them. Uh, I have, we have an article on our site about, you know, how to switch banks and which banks you should consider switching to. But like, dude, thank you. Way to go. Thank you for leaving Wells Fargo. Like, that's just a good American thing to do. So <laughs> congratulations. It's, it's the middle of the summer now. You know, there's nothing more American than kicking a giant conglomerate bank to the curb when they have treated people very poorly have literally committed crimes and and still no one goes to jail yeah it's ridiculous. and their and their executives and ceos get huge bonuses fatty bonuses uh, 30 50 70 million dude, what do you bonuses. think about their new ads have you seen them uh what with the world cup being on they're like we've been around since whatever year but rebirthed or renewed you know yeah. 2018 basically i feel like it's just a lame way of like admitting that they screwed up it feels very disingenuous because it feels like it's just branding yeah. You know, right? Like it's a good uh, it's a good way to brain yourself. I always screw, but most people don't even know, aren't paying attention, I don't think. But the amount of stories that came out over the last what year and a half of all the things that Wells Fargo has done to the American people, uh, it are astounding. Yeah. And you know, creating fake accounts in people's names just um, to hit the like the branch quotas yeah. and the managers pressuring tellers basically to to make it happen no matter what, essentially. And it's like, all right, well, when you put that kind of pressure on your on your on your employees, what do you what do you expect that they're going to do? You know, if they're going to get fired for not hitting their their certain number of new accounts opened within a a, a period, right? So a terrible culture to work in. Yeah, and terrible. Then what they did to you know so many of their own customers and um, even people who weren't their customers that they were signing up for accounts. It, it's pretty awful stuff. If you just go to Google and <laughs> type in Wells Fargo and then hit the news button and then just scroll through like the last year and a half, you'll you'll be amazed at all the terrible things they've done and uh, how everyone's yeah, gotten away scot free man. in the whole process. So I feel like we've said their name enough. I'll, let me. I, would, I do want to say who I'm switching to. It almost sounds funny to say because they don't sound like a real bank, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but they're. I mean, the best online free business checking account. Did I say everything? Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. You got it. So they're online. They're not based in a location. It's for business, which is tough. For years, I've been looking for a, a great free online business checking account. And business accounts are the hardest ones. It's to so come hard, up. man. It's so easy finally, as a personal, as a human, as a single individual, but it's really hard as, oh, as yeah, a business yeah, to yeah. get a good free checking account yeah only recently have the uh, business checking accounts kind of come on board uh, specifically with what i'm looking for too which is not maintaining a balance and that's one of the things i hate about uh my my wells fargo and it's a grandfathered account so i've got perks so they've probably gotten like a lot worse oh they've gotten worse yeah, yeah yeah and so i don't know what the, what, what the requirements are but i know that they're worse it's the only reason i've held on to that account because i try to sort of reorganize my accounts and i realized it was gonna i was gonna have to increase the amounts either that i spent every month out of that account or I was going to have to maintain a higher balance. So I'm looking forward to only having to keep zero dollars uh, in my bank of the internet, which is their name, by the way. I don't know if I have I not said their name yet. <laughs> bank of the internet. No, you haven't said that so yet. It's, yeah. Bank of internet, I think is the actual name. Uh, maybe bank of the internet. I don't That's know. amazing. You've read you like you. you oh, yeah. No, they're legit. Yeah. They're FDIC they're, insured yes, and all that yeah, jazz. Completely okay. legit. Right. It's, it's B of I is their uh is like their shorthand <laughs> bank of internet b of i but they're the one i'm on though now is the basic business checking account and for them you do have to make a one thousand dollar initial deposit but then after that you can just pull it out and then you're sitting there with a the zero balance and i can use them to make my my business deposits remotely with my phone and their limits are way higher than any big 
name bank like Chase or Wells Fargo. And their daily limits are higher. Their monthly limits limits are higher. A much higher dollar amount than, I mean, let's be honest, that I'm ever going to pull in. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, They're like, oh, the, the limits are... I mean, it's something like 50000 a month. I'm like, okay, that's not going to be a problem for me. Trust me. <laughs> well, dude, I know you've been kind of on that this hunt for a long time. So I'm glad you... I've just been busy, man. Yeah. yeah it just takes some time to finally sit down. Yeah. I'm glad you found something that, you know, works on all those levels for you. And, yeah. you know, we'll we'll put a link because I know there's a lot of small business owners that listen to this podcast. And oh, sure. they probably are paying, you know, monthly fees every month for having a checking account or their limits or there's all these hoops yeah, they have to jump through. Exactly. And it's just a huge pain. Having to do 12 transactions a month in order to keep it free. Yeah. Accidentally click a view image, view check image deposit, and then they get charged three fifty. Oh gosh! If you're really? listening, yes, that's a thing. Yes, Wells Fargo, man, they do it, dude. That's the dirtiest they, thing I've ever heard of. I'm not even kidding. When you go and you log into your account, and it's got the, your transaction summary, and it, it'll say deposit, and it'll have a little link, and it says view image. And I remember the first couple times I did that because I like to see, I don't know, just make sure. Like, is that the one that I, that I think it think right. it was? Because sometimes the amounts are the same. And yeah, I was getting hit with these charges, man. It wasn't until maybe a year later that they put a disclaimer kind of next to it, explaining that that's what that was for. The year before that, though, when I was figuring it out myself, I I mean, I called them up. They said, oh, that's because you clicked view image, which freaking cost them nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So stupid. So that I think... Two two takeaways from this. Yeah, two takeaways. (laughs) If if you're a business owner, uh, you should totally look into bank of internet <laughs> and we'll put a link <laughs> uh, uh, on our show notes. Yeah. For I'd, you. I'd love to create like write a post or something, but at the very least we'll have a link up there yeah. uh, directly to them because I mean, they're not advertising with us. They're, it's just, they're just a great, uh, a great service that they're putting out there. Great resource for small business yep. owners. And then if you do your banking with Wells Fargo in any way, form or fashion, please stop. And I probably, <laughs> yeah, please stop. And, and you know, I don't think, you know, we're not usually here to bash companies. That's not usually what we're about, but uh, I feel okay doing that about Wells Fargo, right? <laughs> I, it feels cathartic, actually, I think, to, to talk about how terrible they've been. And, uh, and and if you do your business, like things like that, we get our money taken from us as, as consumers, as individuals, because we don't fight back and because we don't move when a company takes advantage of us like that. And the competition in this country is so stiff, especially in the area of banking. Yep. There are so many good banks out there offering such great services that for you to stay with a company that hates you, that doesn't care about you, and that is going to charge you exorbitant fees for ridiculous things like clicking to see an image of your check, yeah. then insane. we're doing it to yeah. ourselves. And so you know, leave a company like that immediately. Go to another bank as quick as you can. Yeah. You know, Hustle up. And, uh, and it's good for our country. It's good for you. I mean, we should just not be supporting companies like this that treat their customers in this way. Yeah. I feel bad for even having waited this long. You know, yeah. I feel like I've, I've, I've been on the wrong side of history uh, <laughs> <laughs> by like waiting and not taking steps to kind of further go down that path. And you know what? Last thing about the big banks, they continue to pay 0.01%, right. all of them, on your savings. So lame. It, need we say more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On to the beer for beer time. this evening. Um, our friends, Michelle and Jen, just got back from Iceland. They actually went to a few countries, and yeah, Iceland was one of them. Did a little tour. Uh, apparently, it's the land where there's a waterfall around every corner, which sounds Iceland. awesome. Definitely want to go to Iceland at some point. Oh, and the flights are actually really cheap to Iceland. Yes, into Reykjavik. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah, because Iceland Air flies there from like some of the northeastern cities. And so if you want to get to Iceland, you can actually do it pretty reasonably if you fly out of the northeastern corridor. So Is yeah. Iceland still like the hip? sort of city to, to fly into i think iceland is the place to go right. man yeah all the photog- like cause i've got tons of photographer friends and everybody always posts pictures from from iceland it's yeah. like the cool I, place to take a picture of horses and waterfalls yeah a waterfall <laughs> like a black church like yeah. off on, the, on the hillside yep yep that's it that's it that's iceland so uh, we have an icelandic stout from a brewery called borg let's pop it you sure that's how you say it? We we botch any other European uh, <laughs> name or phrase. I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm not sure that that's how it's said. <laughs> Borg. So, do you know anything about this actual brewery? I don't. My friend Michelle texted me from Iceland and said, "Hey, we want to get you a beer. Do you know what Icelandic breweries are good?" And I didn't off the top of my head, so I went to the trusty old internet. One of my favorite websites for looking up what beers are good, what breweries are good in a place, beeradvocate.com. It's a great site. Like when I'm going to a city or to a country, I always go to Beer Advocate just to kind of see, 
you know, what people rate these breweries and the beers. And then I kind of know, you know, where my priorities lie for where I want to go drink. And so I looked them up and always a good way to plan your travels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Borg was, uh, was pretty well rated. And so, uh, Michelle and Jen were kind enough to bring back this Icelandic stout from them. And again, I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'll just say Icelandic stout. Not surprisingly, this pour is a nice, crazy dark color. Not able to see through at all. Nice brown head. Smells like a stout. <laughs> Which is actually kind of refreshing. Just, you know, like I feel like lately the stouts we've had are bigger and they're barrel aged. And so it's kind of nothing but like barrel and bourbon and oak and wood. Smells like bourbon or some of the adjuncts that they put in it, like coffee or yeah. vanilla or something this, this like that. This smells like classic stout smell. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. It's really clean. It's like a really clean stout. Yeah. That's actually funny that we kind of were mentioning that. And then it's uh, it's got this kind of nice boozy edge to it. like because mm-hmm. And it is uh, 11.5% alcohol. So it's a, you know, it's a bigger beer. Man, it tastes like a classic, delicious, bigger stout. I like it. See how far we get through this podcast. I went for a run this morning and I don't think I've rehydrated since then. So I'm just going to just drink this real fast for you. (laughs) (laughs) You Might want to sip because we have a lot of information to get to. That's right, man. We do. But first, let's take a quick break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Cachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Cachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out cachava. Just go to cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's get on to the topic at hand what makes a good rental property and ultimately we're assuming that you want to be a landlord and that you don't want to be a landlord just for a few years, that you are kind of in this for the long term, because very few properties make good rental properties if you're only planning to be a landlord for a couple of years. Uh, you should really realistically be looking at a longer time horizon and also be looking at a bigger percentage to put down. We'll get into kind of the specifics of what it what we think makes up a good rental property, but know going into it that if you're not in it for the long haul and you don't have 20 or likely 25% to put down on a property that you're buying as an investment, probably a lot of this advice you know, doesn't apply to you. Yeah, Joel, that's right. And we're also going to be talking specifically about what makes a property good, right? So like we're talking about specific houses, specific homes. We've done a previous episode about uh, investment properties, and we kind of covered more of the general basics where we talked about everything from your personal finances, way more than just how much to put down, but all the way from, if you know, should I be handy, all the way through to the different things you want to consider if you are looking at investment properties. Go back and listen to that one. That is episode four. I, you know, we're going to come back to real estate again, though, dude, because we just we love it so much, and there's just so much you can talk about with uh, when it comes to it. So yeah, I, mean, I was going to say that too. I mean, I think there is a lot for us to discuss, and there are a lot of episodes that over you know the next coming months that we will uh, create about uh, investment properties because for you and I, they're such an integral part of kind of our ultimate path to financial independence. Yeah. there's something that we enjoy. We see a a lot of benefits from and you know for the long haul I, I i think real estate is if you're smart about it if you're buying well if you're holding for the long term uh it's just as good if not probably even better in a lot of ways uh than investing in uh, the stock market over right. the long term yeah. so i mean we believe that right i mean yeah. that's, that's why it's such a huge part of our personal finances and uh and yeah like you said our, our path to sort of financial independence and in the long term that's why we want to do this is because we want to be landlords like we both sort of see ourselves long term being landlords and, and this being something that we can kind of continue to do in our ripe old age as we continue to drink beer so that's why for us it's important for us to get a good deal uh on a property uh we're not in this to just collect homes <laughs> i think sometimes people think they're like oh i I would love to have a home up in so-and-so city or, you know, like even on the beach or things like that. And that's fine if you want to have that for personal reasons, uh, you know, or to also kind of parlay that into a beach house or, or something else like that. But if you're looking at it from the standpoint of generating income and to have that become more and more uh, how you are able to feed yourself, you know, like if that's how you put food on the table, that's what I'm going for is to be able to put food on the table that way. And in, in the, you know, ultimately I would love to be able to, to do real estate full time. And so because of that, we want to find a good deal because obviously the better deal that we can get, the sooner we can get to that point. Yeah. So that's definitely one of the main keys in, uh, you know, what makes a good rental property, finding that deal. And you know, when you've spotted a deal because you have been studying the market in your area. Yeah. So just like grocery shopping, like I know when a bag of spinach is a good price at Aldi because I've been to Kroger and I've been to Publix. And I know that, you know what, 99 cents for a bag of spinach at Aldi is pretty dang good. And so in the same way, you want to be that familiar with the real estate market in your area. And what that means really for you is to specialize in a specific part of town or yep. two or three. You want to know the streets in that area well enough to, to know when a deal hits. Yeah. If, when you see an address pop up and like your MLS listing for that morning... Like there should be certain street names that like jump out to you when you when you see a name you're like ooh let me let me click on that one to check it out because you know that street and that should sort of trigger something for you once you've gotten to that stage you're you're well on your way to becoming a real estate nerd <laughs> yeah and so yeah the beginning to finding a deal is essentially you know studying Zillow Redfin you know the FMLS having an, an agent that that feeds you properties 
every day, right? You're getting stuff into your inbox, studying those leads for months, essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even a year, man, there's been times when I've been like really trying to get to know a neighborhood and every morning when I check my email, that's the first one I go to just to real quick, make sure that there's nothing that popped up. That was a really good deal because like you said, yeah, you've been watching it and you just need to be that familiar with it. Certainly that's the way we approach it. I think a lot of folks take it to a whole nother level when they're buying even out of uh, state or, you know, like not locally to them. Or sometimes folks are buying wholesale. We're not talking about that because that's not what we do personally. It takes a lot more money <laughs> to, to kind of go down those paths. And we are definitely not at that point yet. Maybe someday, but we, we kind of do it like mom and pop style. Almost, yeah. You know, like we know everything that goes on within our sort of portfolio of real estate. We're familiar with uh, our parts of town. And specifically, you know, we, we know our city real well. Yeah. And we, I, I think we like to keep it simple. So you know, there are a lot of people that, that like to grow big, grow fast, you know, amass a big portfolio, whatever. You know, we're kind of of the mindset, you know, both of us that, that slow and steady wins the race. Yep. You know, smart, solid investments, you know, with solid underlying financials, like we talked about in episode four, that when we're buying, you know, we're making a long-term investment, but we also, we're, we're using our own money that we save over time to put down on these homes. Yeah. Super simple. There's nothing fancy about that. <laughs> you know, like folks are like, how do you do that? It's just like, well, you just try to be frugal, save up that money. Once you get enough money, it's old school, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like, there's, there's nothing really like special about it. And there's all these, you know, real estate conferences and seminars and hotel ballrooms. Oh, sem- like they, they, they'll, th- they'll tell you, here's how you get rich in real estate. Here's how you buy real estate with none of your own money. And you use somebody else's money to finance these deals. And I'm not going to say that that hasn't worked out for anybody. I'm sure, you know, at least the people speaking at those conferences have gotten sure. rich yeah. off of your fees to enter. <laughs> uh, but they're really good at writing books. Yeah, right. But yeah, like we're the, of the old school mentality of how you should approach and buy rental properties. And that's with your own money saved up over time, going slowly but surely, knowing your market and finding that deal. And on that note, to buy that underpriced property that we're talking about, you'll also need to, once you know your market, be ready to move quickly. Because when a deal hits, you're not the only one seeing that. There are other people out there, you know, that are looking for a deal as well in real estate. And so when something hits, you need to be ready to pounce. You need to have your finances ready. You need to have your relationship with a lender. If you need one, if you're not paying all cash established, you need to have an agent that's ready to write an offer day of when you see uh, that deal hit the market. And so, yeah, you're just going to want to be ready to pounce when the deal actually hits the market. Yeah, that's so important these days with the market being as hot as it is, man. If you're able to jump on a deal like that and you know, hopefully even try to snag it, sometimes if you can get it before it makes it to the weekend, <laughs> then I mean, then that's like really good, right? Because once it get like rides through the weekend and everyone's had a chance to come to the internet and see what's out there, well, they're gonna have like highest and best offer by like next Saturday, and you know, you're gonna end up paying twenty thousand more, or somebody's gonna end up paying twenty thousand more than maybe what you could have gotten it for. Yeah, man. And so a good way to know if you are getting a deal uh, when it comes to specifically an investment property is the 1% rule. And we talked a little bit about that on the investment property basics episode, that one, episode four that we mentioned earlier. The 1% rule states that you should be able to get 1% of the purchase price of the home in monthly rent. And you know, this is a real sort of quick math, like not even back of the napkin because you don't need to write it down. It's just, <laughs> it's just like taking the price and moving the decimal place two places and think, could I get this amount in rent for this house every month? And that's just a good way, sort of a good rule of thumb. I'm actually curious to hear your thoughts, Joel, on if you think that this still sort of holds in today's market. Because specific to Atlanta, the market is so stinking hot right now that, I mean, on my most recent purchase, which was last year, I wasn't quite to 1%, you know, I was, it wasn't quite the 1% rule. And I knew that going into it, but uh, yeah, even still, I, you know, I, I felt that it was still going to be a good deal uh, and I was still going to be able to, to make a good return on that. Here's my quick thought on that. I think of these areas that we're going to talk about as kind of like weights. And if one area is weighted more heavily, I'm okay with the other area being a little bit lighter, right? And so let's say a property doesn't meet the 1% rule. I don't write it off immediately. I think it's almost we should probably call it the 1% rule of thumb. Because if I buy a property that is $120,000, but I can only get $1,000 a month in rent, well, I still don't write that property off just because it doesn't meet the 1% rule. Right. Be- because what about potential appreciation or you know where that property is headed and the neighborhood and you know the infrastructure, the changes that are happening, mm-hmm. uh, the potential growth in that city or 
or particular part of town? I mean, I think there are a lot of questions to ask. And so uh, the the 1% rule of thumb is a really good one. It's this great way to kind of cull favorites and eliminate loser properties. Yeah. But it is yeah. also, it is not this end all be all because, you know, the last property I bought was, you know, similar to what I just said. It was actually a $115,000 property. I'm currently getting a rent amount of $1,000, but I'm almost positive I can meet the 1% rule next time around when I lease it to somebody else. And on top of that, I feel like the appreciation potential for this particular property is really, really good. And yeah. so, you know, at weighted averages, right? I'm taking these things and I'm saying, well, if I bought this other property, you know, and a lot of real estate investors invest specifically for cash flow. That's what people want. You know, they want to make money every month. And I that's fine. That's a that's a fine way to invest as well. It usually depends on where you're investing, kind of what you're gonna pay a little more attention to. And but here where I'm investing, I'm paying attention to the cash flow, but even more so, I'm really thinking about the potential of a neighborhood and the potential of that property to appreciate over time. That actually for me is a bigger influencer when I'm looking at a property than just meeting the 1% rule of thumb. Yeah. Even though I think it's a really good rule of thumb to use. Yeah. That being said, I mean, cash flow is, is still important. Like when you say that you don't weight cash flow as much, like you're still talking about like a couple hundred at least in positive cash flow a month, right? Yeah. I think probably yeah. the worst thing that I've ever, I can ever hear out of an investor or real estate investor's mouth is, you know what? And it's covering the mortgage. The rent is covering right. the mortgage, right? That's <laughs> <You're> a, like, no, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. That's a terrible way to look at it because you could put that money in an online bank account. And you know what? The online bank is not calling you uh, about a broken toilet or a yeah. leafy, a leaky roof. And so I'd rather, if I, my money wasn't going to make almost anything, I'd rather just have it in savings and not be dealing with the headaches right. of humans and fixing things. So that's definitely not the way you want to look at it. But back to the 1% rule real quick, I wanted to talk about, it actually doesn't always just include the purchase price because let's say you're buying a house that is a complete dump and needs a major renovation and you are buying that house for $30,000, but you have to put $70,000 into it. Well, you know what? Your hope is that at the end of those renovations of making that house livable, that you're able to then get $1,000 a month for rent. So essentially what you're looking at, if you're boiling this 1% rule down, it is purchase price and immediate repairs and improvements that you need to make in order to get that house rentable. Yeah, or deferred maintenance sometimes it's called. Just like the things that you know you need to, to basically dump into the, the property in order to kind of get it up to speed. Certainly where you're not kind of over improving it uh, for the neighborhood or the market, but... Yeah, you definitely want to take that amount into the sort of to total cost there as well. And um, I think if you're not in the ballpark on one percent, you know that's a great just ballpark estimate thing to thing to look at as you're you know looking at you know fifty sixty properties a day as you're doing your research. It's just this awesome way to say you know what I'm keeping these five to do a little more digging, a little more research on to see if they meet the rest of my criteria. Yes, uh, ROI, man. So your return on investment is for me a great way to kind of dig in beyond the 1% rule uh, to figure out if, if, if a property is going to be even better since the 1% rule can just kind of be almost too broad. So let's say, for example, you get a $150,000 house, right? And so the 1% rule, a rule of thumb, <laughs> says that your monthly rent should be $1,500 a month, right? It's easy math. Yep. And you think, okay, uh, I, could, I can definitely do that. If so, great. Maybe you should jump on that property. But if you're short, you might think, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't a good property. But if you're doing the 1% rule on that with a typical 20% down with today's rates, you're looking at a ROI that is easily over 20%. And that's huge. I mean, if you're looking at something that's closer to like 23% that you're earning on your money, you can't make that in the stock market. And obviously, a property takes a little to maybe a lot more work, <laughs> depending on if it needs uh, additional improvements or, or anything like that. But all that to say, if it falls short of the 1% rule, we're saying that you could still potentially be earning a lot of money but then on the other hand, if you'd be happy with returns even less than that, right? So say you'd be happy with returns closer to, say, 15%, which is still outperforming the market. And that means on that same house that you paid $150,000 for, you could rent that out instead for $1,250 a month. And that's more like, you know, if you do the math on that, that's closer to like the 0.8% or the like 0.85% rule rather than like the 1% rule. What I say is all that to kind of help put it in context is that you might see that a property may not completely perform at the 1% you know, rule level. But if you run the numbers a little deeper and see and, and take the mortgage and just all the other repairs and maintenance costs and insurance and all that into account, all that included, you might find that you would still be making a ton more 
than you would if that money was just passively uh, invested in the market. Yeah. So for me, the 1% rule is helpful, but ROI is just a much richer way to really kind of dig in and sort of compare, should I take this money and invest it in real estate or should I just dump it into the stock market? Yeah, Matt. So that 1% rule, right, uh, is a great way to kind of initially check and then rule things out and decide what you want to look at more deeply. And then the ROI is a great way to kind of assess in a little bit more detail the particular property. And on top of that, you want to find properties and separate them by condition, neighborhood risk, and potential appreciation. So how much work is this house going to take now? How much work is this house going to take over the next few years? Does it have a roof that needs to be replaced or an aging HVAC system? Those are the kind of items that could separate a a, a potential winner uh, from one that you decide to discard into the I don't want to buy pile. And then neighborhood risk. So what does that neighborhood profile look like? And is it a neighborhood on the rise or is it a neighborhood that has been in decline for a few years? It's better to be buying in a place where you are going to have tenants vying for your property, a neighborhood where people want to live because the more potential tenants that are interested in your property, the more rent you can charge and the quicker you can fill those vacancies you definitely want to make sure you're in a neighborhood where people actually want to rent your property. So Joel, that was a lot of like ROI talk <laughs> in numbers. My <laughs> eyes glazed over for a second, Matthew. I'm not going to lie. I saw you just like holding your beer and just staring into it for a while. There. Like, you're trying to read your fortune in the tea leaves. Well, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of more of a, a gut feel guy. And I, I know that sounds terrible. It sounds ridiculous. No, that's important though. I mean, and we'll get more into that here kind of after the break, after uh, in the next section too, because I think a lot of the intangibles when it comes to like location and some of that, it is gut related. It's, yeah. it's kind of like you kind of have to trust your taste, I guess. Yeah. You know? Like you kind of have to go with your gut. But I guess for me, so here's my thing. I know how emotional I can be and like I get excited if I see something I like. And for me, having numbers is just a great way to kind of check myself. And it's a good sort of rule uh, and if I have spreadsheets and lots and lots of spreadsheets, um, I can punch in the numbers and I can say, I'm really excited about this. But the, if I just look at the bottom line, if I, specifically for me, the ROI, if I look at that and say, that might be like the 0.8% rule, but I'm looking at you know less than a 15% ROI, well, it's like, well, shoot, I should maybe, maybe I should just take that and just dump it straight into the stock market and invest in there instead and not deal with the headache of you know an investment property. And so for me, I guess it's just a way to not look at everything through like rose colored glasses and think that everything's going to be coming up matte. (laughs) Um, Triple sevens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I completely understand that. And I think, you know, for probably for most people out there running the numbers, you know, thinking through, you know, a potential real estate purchase with a lot of math behind you, you know, at your back, it creates a lot of wind in your sails and it gives you, you know, that knowledge and the ability to know and decide if you're running the same numbers every time, you know, whether you're making a good investment. For me, that's why the 1% rule of thumb has actually meant a lot to me over the years, because I'm not a huge numbers guy. I'm not running spreadsheets on every property. And, you know, a lot of the reason I buy somewhere is, is based on essentially looking at that 1% rule, deciding whether the property I'm interested comes close to there. And if it's close, if it's in the ballpark, then I make decisions based on a bunch of other factors, like like the condition of the home and how much money it's going to take, you know, over the right now and then over the next few years to improve, and then or even the, how close it is to your best friend's house that he just purchased, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> on the same street. Which I think we mentioned in in episode four that we literally have rental homes two doors down from yeah, each yeah. other, and these are the rental homes that are a good twelve to fourteen minutes away from where we actually live. But like the profile of the neighborhood, where is that neighborhood going? What's the trajectory and then the potential for appreciation. So yeah, if it's close to that 1% rule for me, then I'm looking at those other factors and I'm saying, you know, does this house, is this going to you know suck a lot of money out of me over the next few years? And you know, if, if so, if it has, you know, an aging roof and an aging HVAC and it's not meeting the 1% rule, then boom, I'm probably done, right? I'm out. It's not necessarily all these numbers that I'm running on a spreadsheet, but it's all these scenarios that I'm playing out in my head. And it's these things that I'm looking at every single time. And I've just gotten better and more astute at looking at those things. The more houses I've looked at and the more properties that I've purchased, the more offers that I've made. And so as a potential real estate investor, that's part of it too. You're going to learn through you know, knowing your neighborhood, looking at just the listings. Then you're going to learn by walking into actual homes 
looking at houses and seeing what's potentially wrong with houses that you're looking at and comparing apples to apples. Hey, this house on this street looks like this and cost this much money. And then looking at a house two streets over that you know might have different factors at play. And so the more you look, the more homes you see and the more offers you make, that's really the, the biggest learning curve, I think, in real estate is actually doing it. Yeah, man, that's right. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break. But after that, we'll talk more about the sort of intangible things, like some of the things that are harder to quantify that you want to consider when you're looking at investment properties. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pumped for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best-fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Okay, we're back from the break, man. So we kind of mentioned this just a second ago, but location. I mean, essentially, that's what you're talking about, right? So these sort of gut intangible things that you kind of like to go off of. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, location is obviously... Yeah, you hear it, right? In like real estate. Location, location. It's one of the three most important parts of finding... Yeah, a, you got to say it one more time. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so location is, is the most important thing for me. And specific location matters a ton. I mean, like we said earlier... 
studying the market, studying the actual streets and knowing the homes that are located there. I mean, that's huge because one block of difference in a lot of parts of town and a lot of places you might be looking can mean a world of difference. Oh yeah. And can mean a world of difference as to whether a potential renter wants to live there and can change the ROI, can change the the numbers completely. And so knowing that location in particular, how close is it to amenities? How close is it to the sounds of overwhelming traffic on a main thoroughfare? Is it walking distance to a nearby park? There are all sorts of uh, things that I look at when it comes to location, and I'm looking for that upside potential, right? So even if a house, like we, we talked about the 1% rule of thumb, even if it doesn't meet quite that, but the location is perfect, and I see a lot of upside and rents increasing well over the years, well, man, that house still made it into my list of maybes that I want to dig deeper on if it's got that awesome location. Yeah, man, that potential for growth. You can't overlook that. You know, you don't want to necessarily count on that from the onset like that. Okay, well, this will appreciate. So it'll be better in the future. If, but, you're, if you're banking all if you're banking everything on that, you're essentially a speculator. at that. Yeah, point. exactly. 100%. But that definitely is something that you want to consider. It's just like you said earlier, it's one of those weights that you kind of figure into this sort of equation that this sort of balancing act. And if you know that, well, you know, the Current ROI isn't quite where I'd want to see it, but I know that this has huge potential for growth. I know that that new local brewery branch is going to be opening a couple miles from here. You know, that sort of thing where it's like, oh, people are going to love that or whatever it is. Like, you know, we would. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Like the different amenities. And so location is one of those special things where it's just very hard to, to quantify, right? You can't really put a number on it and you can't just look at the numbers. You know, like if you're only looking at numbers, then yeah, well, you'd end up purchasing uh, you know mobile home parks or like self storage units because if you look at the numbers those you know those kind of properties are the ones that bring in the highest amount of cash flow every month like that's that's where you're going to see the revenue but are you going to see uh, the kind of growth that you're going to see in residential areas in a trailer park no <laughs> that's that's just not how that works you know double wides don't quite appreciate quite as fast <laughs> as, as single family homes I'm not trying to like knock, <laughs> knock trailer homes or anything, but that's just, I mean, that's just the, the reality of it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's actually been my hesitation up until this point to jump into multifamily housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have friends too, investing in areas of town that, you know, provide a really good cash flow when, you know, with uh, very little money down they're they're cheap houses, you know, they rent, they exceed this 1% rule, but in my mind, the long-term upside potential of those homes. Like the equity growth and just the value of the homes rising. I mean, yeah, the, the yeah. equity growth and then the, the rent potential growth yes. is yeah. actually hamstrung by the location. And so while it looks good on paper, it probably looks better on paper than the home that I just purchased You know, right now if you're running the numbers. Well, I would still choose the home that I bought in September over a home that someone else bought that has you know better numbers right now, uh, but is in a location that I don't, consider to have the same growth potential as where I'm looking. And so that's why the numbers are really important. But these intangibles, specifically like location and knowing what's going on around you where you live and what locations are going to be, you know, hot and up and coming over the next few years, you know, that has a huge potential. Whereas rents on one house in an average location might be increasing at twenty five dollars a year. And the rents on another home in a hot location could be increasing by, you know, seventy five or a hundred dollars a year. So those are definitely things that you want to factor in when you're purchasing a home. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of like the hot or the popular neighborhoods. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're looking at fads or things that we think are going to be cool. It can be as simple as, oh, well, this neighborhood has a sidewalk. These are old school pieces of infrastructure that are built into neighborhoods uh, that you just don't always see, right? So parks... Uh, how close is it to like public libraries, to public transit? I mentioned sidewalks because for a stretch of time uh, in the 50s and 60s, you know, when ranches were being built, essentially, like typically ranch neighborhoods, you're not going to, at least in Atlanta, you're not going to see sidewalks in those neighborhoods. And that does something to the walkability. It does something to the community. It does something to the neighborhood. Yeah, wide streets, on-street parking, especially in in-town neighborhoods where there aren't garages, you know, those are intangible things that mean a lot. Yeah. And the wide streets... The type of housing, uh, the you know the infrastructure, especially parks and libraries and and you know, grocery stores that are nearby, those are things yes. that you definitely want to take into account when when you're looking for a home. 
Yeah, and a specific tip that you can do is when you're considering a property, man, drive by it or and park your car and walk around. You know, at, at all times during the week as well, not just you know at noon when you happen to have your lunch break. You know, when at work, you want to kind of check it out at all times of the day and to see kind of what's going on there. You want to smell the smells, hear the hear the sounds. And to see if it's somewhere that you feel good about. Again, it's hard to kind of quantify because you can't say that like, oh, if the air smells fresh, you should buy it. <laughs> but like there's all these small, tiny little things that kind of plays into it. And this is, I mean, Joel, that you, like you mentioned, like your gut, that's when that comes into play. Like you can't really put your finger on it, but sometimes you just have to kind of be there. And that's one of the reasons that we love investing locally as well, to be able to drive over there ourselves, to, to, to be able to walk the sidewalks, to, to check it out, to, to meet the neighbors, all those different kind of things that, that we try to do, you know, and when, when we do our, our due diligence before purchasing a home. Yeah. And driving those streets, especially at night after the sun is down, uh, that can give you a good idea of kind of what is actually happening in the neighborhood. And it can really give you an idea too of you know, the streets in that neighborhood, what is happening on them. And sometimes, you know, especially in some of the neighborhoods, Matt, that you and I are looking in, sometimes the night activity can be street to street. Some streets are super clean and have you know a great community and neighborhood vibe. And then other streets in the same awesome neighborhood that we like are just a little sketchier. Yeah. A little dodgy. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> hopefully there's kids like drawing on the sidewalks with the chalk and not drug deals going down, you know, two blocks over, which might be the case. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. You got to check it out. Yeah. If you want to be a real estate investor, you have to start looking uh, at things like that, specific streets and driving those streets at night because you want to make sure that you buy the good rental property and not the bad one. Nice. That's enough about your gut, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I make. I mean, I, I mentioned that, but it's it's true, and it's, it's definitely worth mentioning. You know, I, I feel like I kind of get pinned as like the nerdy kind of numbers guy. There's, for good reason, because <laughs> I love the, I love the numbers. But that being said, I, I mean, I don't want to underemphasize the gut and something about again being there and kind of feeling it, and you kind of just have to trust your taste. Uh, kind of have to go with your gut. And, and feel like you're making a, a good decision in addition to, to having the numbers back you up. Yeah. And a lot of those gut decisions honestly come after months and months and months of knowing a place, right? So yeah, kind of goes back to the first point. Yeah. You got to know it. I feel like I say it's a gut decision, but <laughs> that gut has... So it's a learned gut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It, it's, uh, it, it is a learned gut decision. So you're not like Yosemite Sam, like shooting from the hip. Like, you know, you're, you're still making an informed decision, but you're, you know, your gut does tell you a lot in that regard. You know, I, that, that is how I picture you purchasing homes though. Like you're saying, I'm just like shooting from the hip. So something else you want to keep in mind when you are looking for a home that would make a good rental is for the most part, you want to look for average homes. And by average, I don't mean average performing homes. I mean, homes that are average to the market. And, and basically you want a, a home, you, you want a property that is going to be attractive to potential renters. What that might mean is that you're probably not looking at like the smallest of all homes uh, available on the market. And it probably means that you're also not looking at like the hugest homes yeah. uh, out there because that's going to be hard to rent. You know, if, if you mentioned this earlier, Joel, but you want a property that appeals to a lot of people because you want to have a lot of people wanting to rent that home from you. And if you've got something overly unique or too small or too big, uh, you're definitely limiting yourself as to the number of tenants that you're going to have uh, giving you a call. Yeah. If you've got an eight bedroom, five bath, you, you, <laughs> you're just, you're going to a limited audience. Like you're, you're, you're listing it on Zillow or whatever. And, and you're, you're just listing to an audience that is almost non-existent usually. Yeah. And so uh, you also, if you have a 150 square foot tiny home in the back uh, of your house, that's kind of cool. People like tiny homes, but for a night, right? <laughs> exactly. That could make a good Airbnb, but it is probably not going to be a great long-term rental for you. You know, unless you're in a you know high-density place like San Francisco or New York City, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's perfectly acceptable. Like a studio or a one-one for a market like that. That's that's perfectly acceptable, and that's probably what you're gonna find right. <laughs> if you're lucky. People in uh, Manhattan are used to living in like a coffin, essentially. So <laughs> if uh, that might be okay to to buy you know a hundred thousand dollar coffin and rent it out for a thousand dollars a week. I, I don't know. Think about the size, and you want it to be you know, kind of normal for the neighborhood, right? You don't want the nicest house on the block for sure. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you want to have modest finishes. Most people that are listening to this, if you're kind of in the market for investment properties, there's a chance that you can afford nicer finishes at your own home. And I think it's really important to kind of keep in mind that 
you're not trying to get this property up to like your own personal standards. You're trying to provide a great property, uh, a great place for someone to rent for short term or maybe for a long term, for a few years that they're going to be happy to live in and resist the urge to make all these different upgrades that you feel that like, oh, sweet. Now this house is ready to ready to go on the market. Well, what about all the people that you just priced out by doing that? You know, if, if you have it at a certain price point, people that have a ton of money and people that have a modest amount of money could choose to, to, to rent that house. But if you're dumping a bunch of money into that property and you're getting like the granite countertops on an investment property with a bunch of nice appliances, well, in order for the numbers to work, you're going to have to charge more for it. And you're kind of pricing yourself out a little bit and you're definitely limiting your, your potential renter pool. Yeah. So the thing is, you could be you know listing it too high where you're going to have nobody interested in the property or you're going to have to bring the price back down and you've just spent money out of your own pocket for upgrades that aren't actually going to pay off in the rental price. Yep. So uh, instead of putting in a $400 toilet, you know there are great low flow toilets at Home Depot or Lowe's for $100. 100 bucks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we know this. You can get great countertops that aren't granite for a heck of a lot less. There are a lot of finishes that you could decide to go above and beyond on, you know, marble in the bathroom or granite in the kitchen, but those aren't going to pay off. You know, sticking to regular tile, making something look good and cute. That's a great standard, but making it look nice and fancy, you know, that that's a different standard and probably one that isn't going to pay off for you. Let's, let's head back to the beer. I love that on the ingredient section of this beer, it says pure Icelandic water. <laughs> <laughs> that's just good to know right <laughs> man i feel like this is just an, a perfect example of just like a classic stout which is funny because i think of stouts as being very kind of american at least like current stouts not like the english style stouts so it's kind of cool to have this from iceland yeah so next time you're in iceland pick up an icelandic stout by borg uh this was definitely a fun one to drink and man i don't know why but i always get so excited to drink beers from different countries it's like one of my favorite things, man. It's it's just so cool. Yeah. It's like, you guys drink beer too? Sweet. <laughs> we're, we're the same people. <laughs> we can get along. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from the beer. Let's do a quick recap. Yeah. What makes a good rental property? Well, first, it assumes that you want to be a landlord and you have the money for the down payment. No property is a good rental property if you're not in it for the long haul. And since we're trying to do this uh, as an investment and to make money, you want to make sure that you're getting a deal. And the way that you know that you're getting a deal is by studying the market and knowing the areas that you're looking to purchase. And when we're looking like down specific to the street and the block, uh, you want to be that familiar with it. That way, when there's a deal, you can pounce. Yeah. And a great rule or rule of thumb is the 1% rule. And that means that the monthly rental income is roughly 1% of the purchase price including those immediate repairs that need to be made to the property. That's right, Joel. Those numbers are very important. And you can dive into ROI as well if you wanted to get a little more specific uh, and less back-of-the-napkin type of math. Uh, but the other thing is, is you can't only look at the numbers. You got to go with your gut. <laughs> That's right. Your favorite. Go with the gut. You want to look for specific homes and neighborhoods that have that potential for growth. There are a lot of intangibles that are really hard to quantify, but you want to take into account schools, parks, other amenities that are going to make that property very attractive to your potential tenants. And don't neglect cash flow. That's often been the mantra of real estate investors. And while it's not the end-all be-all, it is an important thing to consider. You want the property that you're buying to be cash flow positive. And if it's not, you're likely making a speculative move. And that's not good. So all these things that we mentioned, they're kind of like filters. They're like weighted measures. And so, you know, not one thing necessarily disqualifies a home from being a good potential rental property. Uh, but the more you are familiar with potential investment properties near you, the more you'll start to see, you know, your own formula kind of come into play based on some of these things that we just talked about. So taken as a whole, it should give you confidence uh, when it comes time for you to buy an investment property. Let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening. Our home on the web is howtomoney.com. We'll have show notes up there for this episode, including that link to Zenny Optical, cheap eyeglasses for you people that you know wear them and stuff. It's true, man. They're, they're my favorite. And if you like what you hear and you've found this episode and this podcast in general helpful, we would love to hear from you guys. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Honestly, that just really helps get the word out and it helps other listeners find our podcast. And we would love for you to, to kind of partner with us in that way. Thanks for listening. Until next time, man. Best friends out. Best friends out.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.